Good morning. As they make their way back, we're going to pray in just a moment. But if you want to pull out your Bibles and get ready, we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. So we'll let, I'll give you a second to do that while they're heading on back. All right, why don't we open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing each of us here this morning. I thank you for always showing up and being faithful to, um, when, we, when we talk, Lord, to you, you're always faithful to listen. I ask that you will just open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning, that you will bless our graduates abundantly, Lord, as they um, tra- travel into a new season in their life, um, and that you just help us to um, hear from you in your holy name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 9, verse 24, and it starts like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to, to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a little girl, at recess, all the boys would go and they would hold these races out in these sprinting lanes on the playground. And one day, I got really brave and I asked if I could race with them. I don't think they were too concerned about me because they said yes. So they let me race with them and you know what I realized? I had fun and I liked it and you know what? I was actually pretty good. And so as they would go out and race, oftentimes I would go and join them. And, you know, honestly, more often than not, I'd beat them too. But one day, as I was racing, I was in first place, I was about to win, I tripped and I fell. And I scraped up my knee so badly There was one other little girl who also was brave enough to race with the boys, and she helped me up, and she helped me get to the nurse to get cleaned up, and you know what? I never raced again. I stopped. I never went and raced with the boys because I was embarrassed, because I was afraid, and so I stopped racing that day. When COVID started, I found this show, maybe you also found some shows to watch during COVID, and it was called Eco Challenge, The World's Toughest Race. Anybody seen it? Nobody? Just me. Okay. Anyway, check it out. It was amazing watching these teams from all over the world come together to compete in Fiji. 
This is not your average race. They weren't just running or swimming. This wasn't a triathlon. They had so many things they had to do. And it lasted for almost two weeks. They traversed over 300 miles. And they had to have a lot of different skills. So they had to be able to mountain bike. They had to kayak in open ocean. They had to run. They had to hike. They had to use ropes to rappel and climb mountains. And they had to do all of these amazing things. But in addition to that, they also needed to have skills with a compass and know how to read a map. Because they weren't allowed to use any modern technology to help them navigate. So as they traveled over 300 miles, they had to compete each leg of the race. And if any one of their team members got hurt or did not finish, they were automatically disqualified. So these weren't your average athletes, needless to say, right? These were your top athletes. They had been doing adventure racing many different times before. And this was not your average race. It was the world's toughest race. But it was inspiring to watch them as they, they went through all of the mental and the physical challenges to race for this prize. And eventually a team won, and it was amazing, and it was just, it was, check it out, it was fun. Still on TV. So when my family and I, I think a lot of you know that we used to live in New York. We lived in Warwick, New York, and we were very close to a hike called the Appalachian Trail. Every year, over 3,000 people attempt to through-hike the entire single hike, okay? It takes them over 2,000 miles. It averages about five to seven months. They, in order to finance it, need approximately at least $1,000 a month. And, you know, they have to go into training for this. This isn't the kind of hike that you're like, hey, do you want to just go hike on the Appalachian Trail for 2,000 miles? Let's throw our backpacks and our boots in the car and get our water bottle and go. They have to train. They have to prepare. They have to say goodbye to their family members for, you know, long periods of time. And out of that, those 3,000 plus people, 75% of them don't finish. They don't finish. And I don't, I, I was like, wait, that's a huge number of people who have prepared. They've, they're committed to this long hike, and yet 75% don't finish. And of those 75%, the majority of them don't even make it out of Georgia, the first leg of the race. And so I thought, well, why is that? Obviously, there's certain people that get hurt, right? And they get injured, and they have to bail because of that reason. But I did some research, and I found this quote, and I want to read it to you. Um, it was an article on why people don't finish and all of the different complex reasons that that happens. And it says this, while it's certainly possible to finish, even if you start out totally unprepared and inexperienced, there's one quality every successful thru-hiker must have. You have to want it more than anything. Through hiking is a voluntary activity. No one's making you do it. 
No one's paying you to be out there struggling through rainstorms and steep, rocky terrain. If you want to thru-hike, more than anything, you'll overcome the hard, lonely days. You'll do whatever it takes to finish. Did you catch that? They have to want it more than anything. Is that better? Thank you. They have to want it more than anything. And, you know, when we look at professional athletes in general or just even high school athletes, there's a lot of training that goes into place, doesn't it? They have to eat, sleep, breathe their training. They have to listen to their coach. They need to be singularly focused on the goal. We have some athletes that are graduating today, and they had to be focused when they were in training. Whether it was football or tennis or running, they had a goal and they trained very hard for this goal. But these professional athletes, it's a whole nother level. You look at Olympians and they are, this is what they live for. This is what they're breathing for, right? But they also have coaches. And a coach is going to help them. Hold on one second. We're multitasking. Can you? No, you can't. Excuse me. How's this? Any better? Can you hear me now? Like the commercial? I can talk louder if we need to, right? Guys? Okay, we're just gonna move on. So if you can't hear me, maybe some at some point you might. Should we grab them? Actually. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> no, you can't. All right. Well, should I grab the other one? It's the system, not the microphone. Thank you very much. So we're going to just put this one back. Terry tells me, if they're all down at the same time, it's not me. So here we go. Here is what we're talking about, and I'm so excited that this happened, right? Because we're going to talk about how a good coach trains people to get over the men Ooh, now I'm really loud. Can you hear me now? Okay. I will lower my voice so you can hear me. Uh, I'm not yelling at you anymore. All right, let's go back to it. So, professional athletes, they have to be singularly focused. On the goal. A good coach comes alongside them and trains them both physically, but also trains them to, to um, trains their mind, right, to block out all the distractions. So what are some of those distractions? Maybe it's their fears, it's their insecurities, it's, it's maybe it's their bad habits, right? A good coach is going to come alongside their athletes and help them train so that they can be singularly focused. Let's talk about distractions, like microphone problems, right? 
that's not a distraction at all for somebody who's trying to give a sermon, I'm sure. But they also have to get rid of distractions. Tiger Woods, when he would practice his golf game with his dad, his dad would jingle keys and make all sorts of noise to try to distract him from what he was trying to do. If you have a baseball player in the World Series, he is not supposed to be focused on the crowd. He is not going to be focused on his teammates sitting on the bench or in the field. He is not going to be focused on the fight he had with his wife or in the insecurities of the past games where maybe he failed. No, he is going to be focused on the ball. Paul. Paul talks to us about this race that he's on, that we're on. And he is talking about how we also are supposed to be singularly focused on this race. What is the race then, right? It's following Jesus. When Paul encountered Jesus, he was radically changed from the inside out, and he then lived the rest of his life completely, 100% focused on running the race set before him. He endured, let's see, he was shipwrecked three times, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, and then he ultimately died for his faith. He was so focused. As he said, I'm not a man that is running around aimlessly. No, he was focused. There was this guy. His name was Nehemiah. And he had been given this vision from the Lord to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. He was a cupbearer. And so he went to the king and he said, would you bless me to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem? And the king blessed him and said, go. So he went to this mess. The the people were afraid. They didn't know what they were doing. There were holes in the wall. And so what he did is he organized them, and he gave them watchmen. And he said, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to do it. And they got to work, and he got his hands dirty, and he started rebuilding the wall. But there were these guys that didn't want him to rebuild the wall. And so they sent messengers to him, and they said, Hey, Nehemiah, will you come to the valley of Ono, and uh, we want to talk to you. And Nehemiah, he replied like this. I'm going to read it to you because his words are just fantastic. In Nehemiah 6, verse 3 and 4, he says, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Did you hear that? I am carrying on a great project. Why should I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent messengers to him, and four times he responded the same exact way. I cannot go to the Valley of Ono because I am busy carrying on a great project. I hear Paul saying the same thing, right? I have a great project. I'm in a great race. I cannot go down to the valley of Ono with my fear and my insecurity and my habits and my sin that are getting in the way. No, I am focused on the prize and I have to run with perseverance for that. I cannot be distracted in the valley of Ono. 
and neither can we. We have been given so many things to be singularly focused on God, right? We hear the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. We hear Jesus saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let God worry about all the problems of the world. We hear and act them saying, for in him we move and live and have our being. All of these things call us to be completely 100% committed and focused on our relationship with the Lord. And we've been given all the tools to do it. Like the, the racers or the athletes in the Eco Challenge, we also have been given a compass, have we not? We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and guides us and leads us and tells us, go this way or go that. We also have been given a map in the Word of God. But I'd like to call it a playbook. Anybody here play football or used to? Did you have to memorize your playbook? Did you have to know it? Did you have to know the plays inside and out so that when your coach called a play, you knew exactly what to do? You have to know your map. You have to know your playbook. And we've also been given a coach, the greatest coach there could possibly be. His name is Jesus. And he has already run this race. He already handled all of the persecution and all of the problems. He knows the suffering, he knows the path, and he is faithful in walking alongside us. Good coaches have to still coach from the sidelines. But Jesus, he runs with us every single step of the way. Every step we take, he is right next to us. We've been given everything we need to be completely, 100% focused on following Jesus. But I understand that it's a little challenging when I say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, or seek first his kingdom. Because the thing is, is, you know, that's nice, right? It, it feels good, we wanna do that, but what does it look like? In a practical, everyday way, what does it look like? Okay, I read my Bible. Okay, I pray. Okay, I'm sitting in church. Now what? How do I continue to go into strict training like Paul talks about to win the prize? What are some other things that I can do? So what I did is I printed out, I created a sheet of paper, and we're not passing them out yet. We'll do it at the very end because I don't want you to distracted. And what I did is I added some things. Things like this, believe, be still. You could bow down and kneel when you pray, maybe. Maybe you need to shout for joy or declare the things that he's done in your life. Or maybe you don't have anything that you can declare and maybe you need to declare the things that he's done in other people's lives. Maybe you need to watch with expectation or confess. Maybe it's your sins. Maybe it's your insecurities, right, or your fears. Maybe you need to repent. But here is a list I'm going to give you to take home of additional things that you can practice. Pick one, pick five, work your way through the list if you'd like. 
Maybe you don't want to sing to the Lord, but you could. These are all things that are just here to encourage you to dig a little deeper. Because, friends, we are called to go into strict training like any athlete for our faith. We are in a spiritual game, and we need to be spiritual athletes. Spiritual professional athletes, I would say, is our goal, right? So, we'll pass those out in a minute, but I have one more story. When I was younger, I was a swimmer. I was on a swim team for about nine years, and I loved to swim back and forth. I loved to compete. And when I would climb up on the starting block, I'd wait for the gun to go off. And I'd take my position, and I would dive into the water when I heard it. And my coach, he was a good coach, he taught me to pay attention to the signs in the pool. So the first sign was the first set of flags. I would know at that point that I was about a quarter of the way into the pool and that I needed to, to gauge my energy level. And then I would go, I would go, and I would notice that there was also a lane in the bottom of the pool. And it would tell me about how much further I had to go. I could look at the lane ropes, and they would also change color at a certain point, telling me when I needed to get closer to the wall so that I could either flip around and go back or I could touch the wall. But it would also tell me I need to increase my effort so that I could finish strong. There were flags up above towards that end of the pool as well that would also give me another sign saying, you're almost done, don't stop keep going, push harder, turn faster, and get back to the end and win the race. We have guideposts like this. Our students, they are at a mile marker, if you will. They have just finished a leg of the race, and they've done it well. And we are here to celebrate them today. But I want to say that as they are journeying into a new season, maybe the terrain is going to be different. It might be rocky, it might be smooth, but it is going to be different. We are also allowed at different points in our journey to pause and take a time to reflect and ask ourselves a couple of questions. And I have found these three questions to be incredibly helpful for myself. The first one is this, do I want God, do I want my relationship with Jesus more than anything? More than anything. If a through hiker has to want a hike more than anything, do I want Jesus more than anything? The second question, am I seeking first his kingdom? Am I seeking first his righteousness? Or am I seeking my own pleasure, my own comfort, my own plans, my own desires, or am I seeking him first? The third question is this. What distractions are getting in my way of the first two things? What habits? What attitudes? Am I complacent? Am I, is my heart in the right place? What is distracting me from my singular focus on Jesus? I want to leave you guys with this. 
While we don't know the author of the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of debate on it, there is, I think, a general consensus that this was written to a group of people that were enduring persecution and a hard time. It was most likely a mixed congregation, which means that it was probably both Jews and Gentiles in this church or group of churches. And these people were, they they were struggling on how do I follow Jesus and how do I do that well? And you can see the author kind of weave in of you're doing a great job and then wait, don't shrink back, keep going, keep working harder. And he leaves us with one of these things that I would like to share with you today. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He just got done with talking about what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And he just went through a whole list of people who had by faith stepped out and done amazing things, having not even fulfilled all of the promises that that were promised to them, they still pushed forward. And he said this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not lose, grow weary and lose heart. Let us pray. Father, I, I, I praise you because you have given us the Holy Spirit to be our compass that you have given us your word to be our playbook and our map. Father, I praise you because Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that he could coach us on how to walk with you and be victorious in this adventure race that we are on. Father, I pray that you will help us to make you the most important thing in our life that you will help us to run the race with perseverance and not grow weary or lose heart, that you will teach us and guide us and help us to know you and to love you with all that we are. In your holy and precious name, amen.